The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. We're located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, which is just on the corner across from Winkies and Sendex. And I'm really happy, we're very happy, um, that we can meet with our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. If you'd like more details, you can go to ellenbecker.com. We've got pictures, we've got videos, see our offices, and we certainly do welcome you to stop in anytime uh, that you're around and in the vicinity. My guest today is Phil Remmers and... Um, Attorney Phil Remmers has been on the radio show. I was just looking since 2005. And uh, when I look back, I mean, there's so many memories about Money Sense. And I look back at all the phenomenal partnerships that we as a team and myself have been able to develop. And certainly film with Phil with um, Kramer, Moltoff, and Hamas has been one of those very long-standing relationships. So, Phil, I welcome you once again to the show. And I do remember clearly when you came to the show, you were nervous. And it was like, what are we going to talk about? I said, I don't know. We're just going to talk about estate planning. <laughs> and, and look at this. Here we are all these years later. We're still talking about estate planning because... It's the cornerstone of how we really do begin our process with our clients. It's always that first step that says, you are here. I kind of liken it to going to the mall, and there's that big arrow. And I believe that estate planning is critical to being able to help your clients to really plan for what to do with their money and how we can invest it. Today, we want to talk about, again, some estate planning issues, but they really have to do with kids graduating, going off to college or working, just kids that are leaving the house. Even those kids, they say that there's a lot of kids that never leave the house, (laughs) but they all have some unique issues that we really want to deal with and help parents to understand some of the critical things to um, really be aware of. And so I know, Phil, the first place that I always like to start are the powers attorney for health care. And I, we both know how many times we talk to parents. And this isn't even just um, kids going off to college. I've got parents that have come in and they've got kids who are in their 30s and 40s and who have never married. And if anything would happen to them, um, the parents would be the ones to step in and act or react to something that's happened. And so this is anybody really that's over 18, but I'm always um, so careful with our clients to make sure that we know when grandkids are turning 18 and kids are turning 18 to help them to put in place healthcare powers of attorney. And Phil, I know that you've just been fantastic working with our clients with that. And it's an important document that most, it's very misunderstood. No, it is. And, it, and it's, a, it's an easy document to set up. And so, you know, what you want to do is it's, it's a good reminder as the kids turn 18 um, that you can't sign for your children anymore. You don't have, you know, the legal power 
over them anymore. And so what you want to do is you want to get some documents in place so that if they did have an illness, if they were not able to make healthcare decisions for yourself, that you'd be able to make those decisions, you know, for them, that you'd be able to step in, that you'd be able to talk with the doctors and the hospitals. And so there's a lot of issues around that. And so that's why we do like to get that healthcare power of attorney in place so that the parents can step in on whether the kids are going off to college um, whether the kids um, are just you know moving out of the house and on their own, or whether they're even staying in the house, it's important that you know once they turn eighteen that you have the power um, to be able to get that information and to act for them if they're not able to do that themselves. So, Phil, your daughter's <clears throat> over eighteen. You've got kids over eighteen and in college. How did you talk to them about that document? It's a little scary to be talking to to kids. Um, of that age, because that's certainly the farthest thing from their minds. But so how did you do that so that it would be received and, and the kids would understand what they're signing and the importance of the document? Um, well, uh, you know, I guess I always start out by saying, you know, welcome to adulthood. You know, you, you finally <laughs> get to start acting like an adult. Um, but really, I, I almost did it as, as kind of a group you know, where, you know, when my daughter came in, it wasn't just my daughter. She came in with, you know, her roommate. She came in with, you know, a couple of other friends and I lined up three and four, you know, three or four of them. And then, and then we talked about that. And then, you know, I think, you know, kind of over the years, you know, with, you know, with the way you talk to, you know, with parents, the way, you know, I, we kind of educate them as they come in, we say, Hey, as your kids turn 18, why don't you remember to contact us? And so I think the parents have actually had a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, discussions with, you know, and we them. red flag all our clients so that it comes up when those birthdays come up and we know that their kids are turning 18. Right. And then, and so that we get those, you know, phone calls and then we, we bring them in and we just have them sign, um, you know, the healthcare power of attorney and a financial power of attorney. But I think I, we've talked about this before. Um, you know, even the best, you know, the, the summer goes quick. I get it. Um, and when my son was a freshman, he went away to college and, um, I didn't get the healthcare power of attorney signed. And of course I got a call two days later that says he was in the hospital with appendicitis and we, we rushed to Madison and, you know, the doctors are like, well, we kind of got to talk to your son to see whether we can kind of talk to you. And it's like, well, there we go, aren't we? (laughs) So I have it now, but you know, it, you know, again, it was nothing, you know, that, that was that serious, but you know, if there was something more serious, you know, if he was unconscious and couldn't make those decisions, what would you have had to do? Well, we might have been jumping through a lot of hoops, and that's why you know you going want to, to court, get a guardianship, to, exactly, and and that could be you know could be a process if it was something more. You know, another interesting document is is to get a HIPAA form, and you know this is more of a form that allows you to be able to talk with the doctors um, and get medical information for your kids, and it can kind of go both ways. You can get this information even if you know the child does not have an issue right there. It's just be able to convey information. And, you know, some kids want that privacy. And so sometimes we talk about it and the kids choose not to do that because they don't want their parents to be able to just get into the, you know, their, the medical information all the time. My kids, I know, like it, um, for whatever reason, um, you know, as far as, you know, mom's always got to be getting their acne medicine and, and picking up prescriptions and dealing with the, you know, the pharmacies and things like that. And by her having that document, she's able to, you know, talk to the doctor, you know, get that set up and move that along. And so that's been an important document. So, you know, and the healthcare power of attorney can be a great one if something should happen. The HIPAA document, as long as, you know, they don't mind the parents having information, access to information, can be really be a convenience document. It's something to kind of think about as well. 
So what about kids who have parents who are divorced? How do children make the decision regarding who signs these documents? And um, can you just talk about what's in that document a little bit, Phil? Well, generally, the healthcare power of attorney is naming one person, and it does need to be one person at a time. That doesn't mean you can't have one parent first and the other one is a successor, but they can only act one at a time on the healthcare power of attorney to make decisions for them if they can't make those decisions. So, yes, that can be you know a discussion point about you know which parent to name first um, in you know, in divided families like that. Um, but again, that, that's not really, doesn't even, even in an intact family, that doesn't mean that, you know, that those same discussions aren't and that, you know, we have those discussions as well. Um, the HIPAA can be a little bit different because there you could give access to both parents to medical information, but as far as making healthcare treatment, um, you would, you could only name one person at a time. And the second parent could be second in the, line. Right. So if that, the first parent couldn't act, you know, then the second parent could act. But again, maybe that's why you give them, you know, both parents access to the healthcare information because if they're not getting along, yes, maybe the one gets to make the healthcare decision, but the other one would have access to, to all the information. To the information. Phil, this is um, a really important document for parents to make sure their kids have, regardless whether they're going to college or if they live in the home. Once they turn 18, you lose the opportunity, you lose the right to actually make decisions for that person. Right. And, you know, parents for kids, I mean, parents should have this, you know, in place too. Um, people living alone or, or with, with someone or even a spouse, you know, spouses living together. Um, it's, it doesn't go just because you're a spouse does not mean that you have the ability to make those decisions always. And so what you want to do is clarify that matter, make sure that there's no, you know, issues out there. So really everyone should have it. It's an easy document. Most of the time you can get that from, you know, your physician or the hospital. Um, it's also on some of the state of Wisconsin websites. Um, and you can get that information and fill it out. I have a son who isn't married in his 40s, and if anything happened to him, I'm the first person to call. And if I don't have that in writing that I can make a decision, I can't. Um, I would have to go through, like you said, a lot of hoops in order to just deal with the fact of the different issues that might come up around health care. Same is true of finances. So. I still remember when my mother, I got into this business way long time ago, and I remember saying to my mom and my dad, you know, you need to have these powers of attorney, and they said, we're married. And I said, Mom, it doesn't mean you can make legal decisions for each other just because you're married. And she said, well, I could do anything with your dad. And I said, not legally, you can't. I mean, she she almost made a joke of it. She thought that it was kind of funny. The assumption was... If they're married, they can make decisions for each other. And the assumption is, is that if you're a parent and those are your children, you can make those decisions. But clearly, that's not the case. I know when we hear from people, you know, with those types of comments, you know, from time to time, but really everything works, right, until it's a problem. It's only when it (laughs) it becomes a problem and you never know when it's going to become a problem. Maybe, you know, one bank will go along with it doing it that way and another bank won't. Maybe, um that somebody's out of town and you're trying to close a loan. And even though they let you do all the banking, they won't let you close the name, you know, the loan under a different name or be able to sign that document. You know, it could be that the doctor will let you do it, but the hospital won't. So, you know, it's not about that. You can't get through 
50, 60, maybe even 90% of what you need to get through doing it that way. The problem is, is when you run into that one issue, now all of a sudden we're at a standstill. Phil, what was that big case 20 some years ago where the, the husband and the parents were... Um, I, I think it was Terry Schiavo. Yes. Case fighting, was that down in Tennessee or something like that. Fighting about um, pulling the plug, basically. And... Um, he was married, but the parents, I don't remember exactly, but it was a nightmare and certainly brought to the forefront the importance of having these documents. And, and, and that's why when they have you put together those documents, the state of Wisconsin will only, you can only name one person at a yes. time. That, you know, what they want to do is avoid those situations, not you know, make those even worse by saying, okay, we got two or three people that we've named. Well, we really haven't solved the problem then. The other thing is special situations, too. People who just choose to live together and not be married. Um, Looking at, you know, I always say, ask yourself, what happens if somebody gets sick? What happens if they die? What happens if they're in somewhere dehabilitated and can't work at all? I mean, and then, you know, so often it could be a nightmare if if you haven't really looked at all those issues. The same would be true, Phil, um, and I think we'll take a break, but... Talking about these documents, um, let's just cover um, briefly people who have children with special needs. These documents can even are important there too. They they certainly can be. The um, you know with special needs children, you know it depends if they have legal capacity and they can sign documents. Then you know they would want to want to do get these documents signed up as well. If they don't have legal capacity, if they're they're not able to make legal decisions for themselves, then what you would need to do is go to court and get a guardianship for them. So I think the answer, or it begs the question, the answer is, if you have someone who is over 18 years old, um, it's important to at least inquire into these documents and and how to put them in place. And certainly if you give us a call at the office at 262-691-3200, we do have those documents available and we'd be happy to sit down with you and introduce you to Phil. Um, and, you know, Phil, I, I know earlier you said you can um, drop those out of um, – legal documents and you can pick them up and do them yourself. I'm such a firm believer of having them drafted and having someone look at them. And generally what I have found is if people don't have those powers of attorney in place, they also don't have their estate plan in place. You know, they just kind of go hand in hand. So um, we're going to take a quick break. And I do recommend that if you yourself or you have children and you don't have these in place, please give us a call. Call me, 262-691-3200. With that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellen Becker. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers, and he is with Kramer, Maltef, and Hamas. And if you would like to contact him, you can by dialing 262-542-4278, or you can go by email pjr at cmhlaw.com. If you don't have a pencil, you don't have to worry about writing that down. You can always just give me, uh, give our office a call because we definitely um, have Phil's number. And as I said, he's been working with our firm since 2005 and doing the radio actually earlier than 2005, I believe. Um, and then we started doing radio together because I felt that um, coming out of the MNI Bank and coming out of the uh, brokerage business, and being in that trust department 
really understanding the importance of estate planning as the cornerstone to everything we do, we immediately started working together. And as the laws have changed and as tax laws have changed, we've really been able to put together a great system of working with our clients so that we not only keep abreast of what's going on, but we're always making sure that our clients know what's going on. And I think one of the hardest things that I found, and Phil, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, saying, you know, we tell parents to, when their kids turn 18, to call us, and we realize that they don't call, so we had to remember, and so we put all kinds of systems in place that when tax laws change, when people turn 70, when kids, grandkids turn 18, that we flag that so that we can help them to make sure that their documents and their planning is really up to date. One of the things... um, that I have experienced, and I remember it as my children were going through college as well, was understanding all the leases and insurance. I mean, cars, kids taking cars to school and letting kids drive them, apartments, um, what's covered, what's not covered. And Phil, you and I have talked about that so much and looking at personal guarantees and I remember guaranteeing a car or something for my son and he didn't pay on time and all of a sudden my credit was showing up with a bad credit score and I'm like, the money's in the bank, why aren't you paying? Well, he'd forget. You know, he didn't have a a system. He does have a system now, but he didn't. And I remember that was such a shock to me because I signed it knowing he's got the money to pay it, but yet we didn't make it a systematic withdrawal and it really did affect my credit. And so, Phil, let's talk about those whole ideas of leases and insurance and the liability um, that kids have and that parents assume and many times without even realizing. Right. No, and it, it's, you know, it, it's an issue that I, I don't think people normally think about. You know, people are just used to, hey, we just go ahead and sign the lease and kind of Everything works, but I do think some, until it doesn't. Well, until it doesn't, <laughs> and, and it's not just about you know kids going off to college and kids getting their place. It could be that you are also you know going to be living with someone, and so that you are entering into a roommate relationship, you know, on that, and that's where these leases can come up, almost regardless of age, right? At any age, yes. Um, and so I think one of the, the most important things to understand is that there's joint and several liability. And, and what that means in, in legal speak is that all the parties are jointly responsible for all the debts that are going on. So you might say, well, boy, the two of us are entering in and, hey, I've paid my half of the, the rent and so I'm covered. Well, no, you're not covered. Um, you know, the landlord can go against either person or all the people for all the monies that are so due. So someone is paid rent, they pay their half, and that person decides to leave school, that still has to be paid. Correct. And you could be responsible even though you've paid your half. Right. And, and, scary. and that doesn't mean that the other person's not equally responsible, but if they're not there, depending on you know where they've gone back, it might be hard. I mean, if they're going to school in Wisconsin and they go back to you know, school, you know, they go back home to Boston. Yeah. It's going to be difficult. And how, you know, how much trouble do you want to go through for three or four, you know, thousand dollars maybe. And so that's where, you know, you need to have a discussion with the kids. I mean, who are we doing this with? You know, how, you know, you know, do you know these people, you know, where do they live, you know, and those sorts of things. Um, because you know, it, it does make a difference. And so I, I know when my kids, you know, went away, you know, we did have, um, those discussions. Now, some of the kids, you know, we knew, 
other ones we didn't when we talked about that. Now, from a practical standpoint, if they're young kids and they're just kind of starting their their lives, you know, there's maybe not a whole lot to sue for, and so that you can, you know, you feel like maybe we get some protection, you know, there. Um, but but again, if they get that liability and it's sitting out there, that's you know another issue. So many of these apartments um, insist on having a parent sign. Well, and that brings up the next issue, right? It's not just about joint and several liability between the kids who maybe really don't have a lot, okay? But if they're trying to go out, you don't want them to have, you know, issues on their credit and that sort of thing. And so they do want to be paying their bills. But in a lot of instances, you know, they are having the parents also sign a guarantee, which means, you know, you're becoming responsible for, you know, anything that happens with the kids. And as you found out, when you have that guarantee, that could affect you know, your credit as well. So what we should probably talk about a little bit is, you know, the differences on different types of liability. I mean, we think about it, boy, hey, I'd guarantee my kids lease, but we're we're generally thinking about their, hey, I'm guaranteeing their lease um, as relates to their rent. But that's not always the case, right? Um, The kids are signing on for whatever happens on that property. And so a fire, if, if, if a break in, if there's a break damage, right. And, and, and more of kind of maybe like, like the fire instance, I had a client a few years ago where the child came home for break for, you know, for Christmas break. And one of the roommates stayed up there and the curtains caught on fire in the kitchen and a good part of the kitchen, you know, burned down. And so the, the landlord's insurance company came in and said, yep, you know, we're responsible. We'll pay that. And then what they did is that insurance company turned around and they sued all the kids. And they didn't just sue the kid that that um, made, had it happened to. They so, sued all of them, again, under this joint and several liability. They're all liable for whatever happens there. So if there's a slip and fall because the, um, the, the rug is not, you know, you know laid down correctly, if it's because of a fire like that, that these kids are not just responsible for the rent, they could be responsible for this other liability. And then the parents also, if they're signing a guarantee, would also be responsible for it. So it's going to be a little bit difficult for kids to kind of protect themselves from that liability. But parents should know or, or guarantors should know the difference between a rent guarantee and just a general guarantee. If you could say, hey, I'll guarantee that this rent will get paid, or at least my kid's proportionate share, maybe you can get it down to that, will be paid, but that I'm not going to guarantee everything else that happens you know, in that property. And so those are the types of things to look at when you're looking at a guarantee. Phil, what about um, renter's insurance? Yeah. Um, and, and I think the discussion we have kind of just lends itself to that. I know a lot of people think that, you know, renter's insurance is about, well, my kids, you know, electronics will be protected if something happens to it and they have three or $4,000 worth of stuff in there. And if it has a fire, you know what, I'm not really, you know, that worried about it, but it's really not, it, will it protect from that? Absolutely. But what it's more important for is it's protecting from these other things that if there is a fire, you know, at the, at the property, if there's a slip and fall, if, if something happens at a party and somebody gets hurt and they're trying to sue the kids and, again, maybe the parents, by having renter's insurance, the insurance is going to protect against those things as well. And so that's why it's absolutely critical. Um, I just renewed my kids today because their college leases come up on August 15th. Um, and it's about $150 for each of the children for a year. And again, it not only protects what their belongings, which we could certainly, 
you know, uh, we could uh, we could be okay with that loss. But what we would not be okay with if there was some damage there, or if if something got wrecked, if somebody got hurt there, and one of the kids were getting sued, or they were trying to sue my myself or my wife through that guarantee, and so. What about kids who are in dormitories? And you did mention all of the contents, and um, we know that it happens all the time that there's things stolen, but technology is so expensive, and these kids need it, and it seems to um, sometimes broke or whatever. What about the dormitories? Is there anything parents should know about their kids just that first start? The... um as far as the dormitories go, I mean, this is just a good time to kind of talk with your insurance agent. And I do it all the time. I try to sit down with my insurance agent, you know, every year or every two years. And, and and before I go in there, I just try to come up with every crazy question that I can think of to ask. And so that's a good question to ask them. Um, I believe when I asked when my kids were in the dorm, um, they said that there's renter's insurance wasn't needed, that it was covered under my policy as far as their belongings go and and because of the liability through the school, you know, that's not really of an, an issue there. But again, I, w- I would check on that, but that was kind of my remembrance of that. But where it becomes critical is when somebody moves um, out of out. the house, okay? I think it's really important, too. You know, there are so many split families that um, if this is a good time for parents to come together and really understand what each other's liability is, and, you know, I don't know, Phil, if it makes a difference if they're both paying for school, if that gives them more of a joint liability, or if there's one pain, or, you know, I don't know how that works. And I think that that's just talking to the agent, but talking to your attorney and just finding out where you both stand in this whole big picture. Yeah. As far as leases go, I mean, you really shouldn't have any liability unless there's a guarantee. So Mm -hmm. if, if only one parent's guaranteed it, then it's going to be that parent, you know, that's going to be in the hook and the other one's probably just not going to be on the hook at all, at all, especially if it's a split family. But I think, you know, part of the point is, is if it's for $150 a year and it not only includes all of the expensive electronics, as you indicated, but these are the liability, Mm -hmm. you know, that is, you know, it'll kind of take care of that, you know, all for cheap. You know, another thing to keep in mind is, you know, kids want to, you know, kids go away, they they, they get their own apartment, they go to college, they want to become an entrepreneur then, so they start doing business Mm -hmm. out of their home. Well, you need to be careful, you know, on that as well. Your liability, your your homeowner's insurance, your renter's insurance is not going to cover you for any liability. If somebody comes to your house to pick up a package from your business and they slip and fall, that's not going to be necessarily be protected. So again, if you're running a business out of your home or your your college kids or that, you need to you know you need to talk about getting some business insurance for that. Again, it doesn't have to be expensive, but your homeowners will not necessarily cover that. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers. He is with Kramer, Maltoff, and Hamas. You can reach him at 262-542-4278. And as I say, I've got his number, so you can always just call at the office. We're going to take a quick break. And what about those kids that love to travel and during Easter break and whatnot, they take off? Is there any liability or things parents should know um, about that? And with that, we'll be back. Ox. If you would like to know more about me and you'd like to know more about Ellen Becker Investment Group, please go to ellenbecker.com. We've got great information there, pictures, pictures of our offices, and hopefully when you make an appointment to stop in, you'll already feel like you know us. My guest today is Attorney Phil Remmers. 
He is with the firm Kramer, Moltoff, and Hamas, and Phil and I have worked together since probably 2004, so it's been a, a wonderful relationship, and I can't even count the amount of times that, Phil, you've been on the radio talking about these issues, and we always like to talk about kids and going off to college and kids moving out at this time of year because it seems to be a time when right after high school graduation that kids are making a lot of different choices and when I ended the last segment we talked about kids traveling and of course there's always spring break traveling and then there's also traveling overseas because there's a lot of different opportunities. Are there any things that just stand out to you that people should just think about as this great opportunity comes and we sort of get lost in the opportunity and forget about some of the basics? Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, maybe we're all warning our kids about safety and, you know, and that sort of thing. But I think a couple things to think about is one of them would be. If kids are, if kids are renting um, places during spring break, whoever signs for that and signs up, they're really responsible. Right, and, and and so that can always be an issue, you know, where it always seems like there's one leader, there's always one leader in the group that you know they go out and they plan the entire spring break and they rent the apartment, the apartment or the verbo or they rent the um, the hotel room and that sort of thing, and then everybody else is coming in trying to have fun and what they need to realize is, listen, if they're on their you know rental, it's going to come back to them if there's damage they're going to be looking to the person that, that signed that rental contract. Yes. And so, you know, you need to be, you know, responsible and give some thought to who you're going to be living with. Or vacationing with. Vacationing with. And then who you're going to have over as guests. And, you know, I know it's easy to say, boy, we want to be, you know, easygoing. I want to be hang loose and, and be one of the cool kids. And, that, and that's fine. But, you know, if they're putting you at liability or jeopardy or, you know, your parents or, you know, someone else that's made that reservation, you know, then, you know, you maybe need to put your foot down a little bit because you, you don't want that coming back on you. They're not worried about it because their name's not on it. Yeah. The other thing I think with um, kids that travel outside of the United States is making sure that you've checked through your insurance and making sure that um, everything is in order and you do have those conversations because that's when it gets dicey. And absolutely making sure you've got those power of attorney for health care and finances in place. Right. You want those in place, but I, I think insurance, you know, it, becomes a big issue is is if you're traveling in the United States, you know, people are kind of, or kids are kind of dependent on the parents, right? Well, just call the parents and all the thing will work. Well, make sure your kids have the insurance card. Maybe make sure that they know, you know, where they can go and the types of places that they can go and use that. And so I think especially overseas, especially if they're going to spend uh, maybe a few months, it's probably worth figuring out, you know, where they can go for the insurance, how that's going to work, so that if something does happen, and maybe it's not horrible, but it's somewhat of an emergency, right? They break something, um, and they can give some or time. They get to, an infection or whatnot. Right, right. But you have some time to think about it, yes. that you don't just run to the, the nearest hospital necessarily, that you go to the one that will cover, that your insurance will cover, that they have relationships with, and that sort of thing, so that you don't get where you're just getting these Huge bills. And maybe the importance is of them making sure that they take that power of attorney for health care with them. And so that makes it a little bit easier um, to facilitate whatever health care needs they need. Right. They maybe what they maybe do is need a, a temporary one. 
that they would name a friend that they were with to be able to make healthcare decisions. Yes, that's a good idea. You know, all out there as well. You know, Phil, let's just jump over to um, vehicle liability because boy, these kids all want a car or they want. Um, sometimes to rent a car. And I think that's one of the things that has been so great with Ubers because kids can get around reasonably easy, but yet a lot of kids have cars. Yeah. And I, <laughs> you know, I, I guess as a, as a parent, as an, an attorney, yeah, I worry about these things all the time. Right. And so, you know, it might be easy again, you send your you know kids to college with a car and then, of course, their friends need to be able, you know, want to use it or they want them to use it and that sort of thing. And again, there's nothing wrong with that in the right circumstances, but I think it is worthwhile knowing who your kids are giving it to that, you know, listen, this isn't just the car for everybody in the dorm and it's not for somebody else to be, you know, parking uti- tickets. Well, yeah, parking <laughs> tickets. Um, but it hopefully, the, the parking tickets. But hopefully, those, that won't be the big liability. But yeah. you know, if they're giving keys to their friend who's been drinking, yes. um, you know that that could come back on the child if there's there's an accident because they made the decision to hand over the keys to them, or it could even come back on you know to the parents if the parents know that these that the car is being used irresponsibly and it's under their name. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think it, it's. It's worthwhile to be, you know, careful about that. It's nice to have a car there, but they need to, you know, keep it limited to who's, you know, who's going to be utilizing it. A, a big point I always like to make with cars too, a little bit, a little bit on a little different topic, is um, when you rent a truck to move the kids, and whether that's again moving them to college or moving into an apartment and that sort of thing, that you know everybody feels like, boy, if I rent the truck, all that extra insurance gets expensive and so that they don't want to do that. But you need to understand that your car insurance will not cover a truck automatically. You can call them, but I've done this a couple of times and they will not cover that. And so you really do need that truck insurance. I mean, if you damage something, if somebody gets hurt, your car insurance will not cover. Your Mm, credit card is not going to cover. Your credit card may cover if you rent a car, but it's not going to cover it if you rent a truck. And so there is a big difference there. I think you need to have that talk, but most probably usually it's only for a day or two, you need to get that truck insurance to make sure you're covered both for damage to the truck and any liability that you might incur while you're driving that truck. School loans. I mean, I think it goes without saying that, you know, you mm-hmm. want to keep those as low as possible. Um, and, and I think you know, what, you know, what happens today is if you need to get the loans, it's a necessity. We all understand that. But what it seems like kind of goes on a lot these days is that people will say, well, hey, I'm really going to enjoy my life for the next couple of years. And so they're doing a lot of traveling. They're staying in really nice apartments, not the type of apartments I was at least staying in <laughs> when I was going to college. And they're racking up a lot of debt. So what could be a $50,000 debt or an $80,000 debt is already you know now $100,000, $120,000. And so I think that's worth talking to the kids. And I think it's a same discussion you're having regarding credit cards. But even more important like that, I mean, once you've had that discussion with your kids, you need to understand whether you're guaranteeing those loans. Um, I've got a friend who's guaranteed a couple hundred thousand dollars of their kids' um, loans, and now they're having trouble refinancing their house, and they're at a high interest rate. And I'm like, that's crazy. Why would you be paying such a high interest rate? And he's like, we've guaranteed so many loans that you know we're not able to get a good interest rate anymore. So it can affect your credit. Um, you you got to understand too that if your kids pass away, um, 
God forbid, you still may be responsible for their loans. And so it's very cheap to get life insurance. It may be worth getting a life insurance if you're guaranteeing a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars worth of of loans. loans. It may only cost a hundred or two hundred dollars to get a life insurance on them for that, and that way you'd be covered. Or if they became disabled. Um, because if they don't pay for any reason, death, disability, they don't have a job, doesn't matter, it's coming back on you. It's going to affect mm-hmm. your credit if they don't pay timely. Boy, that's a, that's really a big one. And I do find that so many parents um, end up really wanting to pay for a lot of these loans, but it really comes out of their retirement pocket. And so sometimes, always, it makes sense to sit down and say, this is what college is going to cost us this year, maybe the next three years. Are we paying for it the right way? Are there other alternatives? Do we have some, um, does it make sense for them to take out the loans? You know, just to look at it so that you're not surprised down the road when you're sitting and saying, how did this happen? Um, Just to have an awareness and be conscientious around it. And I also think, I I know of one of um, our clients, this was many years ago, and after he left our office and we had the discussion around education and the cost, he immediately went to one of the car dealerships and he walked up in this beautiful car and it was like 40 or 50 grand and he said, this is what one year of your college education costs. Just to give her an idea of what is 40 or 50,000 dollars. He said, it's four cars. <laughs> right. And, and, and you don't want to just have the attitude like, well, you know, not a big deal. I'll just go for it. I mean, be conscious about it. I mean, be yes. willing to say no if your kids are racking up debt and it's going to affect your retirement. Maybe you don't guarantee that next yes. loan. I, I don't think you should always have to feel, well, that's just what everybody does. It's not what everybody no. does. And people do think about these and say no. And incentives for education. There's many incentives that we can help you look at where, you know, you pay you pay on that loan, you let them take out the loan, and if they're getting good grades and they're doing well, you pay those payments. And you can always pay it off in the end, but you kind of tie it to performance. I mean, there's many different ways of doing that. My guest today is Attorney Phil Rimmers. We are going to um, come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about credit cards and a few other things to um, know about in in terms of kids moving out and going to college. And basically, a lot of what we're talking about, Phil, also really relates to people who choose at any time in their life to live together as a companion as well. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sets. I'm Karen Ellen Becker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers, and we've been talking about all of the different issues that we feel face uh, kids as they go off to college or they move out of the house. Um, many of the situations that we're talking about really do affect um, anyone who is living on their own or is living with somebody. And so, Phil, the last piece that I'd like to talk about, or the last two, are credit cards. And I I do remember um, also how you title accounts so parents open up accounts for kids and they make them joint so that they can transfer money back and forth when kids are in school. I love to use Venmo. I mean, that's an easy way for me to transfer money. But do you remember several years ago, you and I had, um, I had a client and it was 
a woman and man who had lived together and they'd actually been living together for probably 12 or 15 years and they kept everything separate and they had a home together but they had separate accounts and they had divided up their money where she paid for food and utilities and he paid for all the major bills and he was hurt in an accident at work and they did not have powers of attorney for health care they had nothing in place and she was struggling because she couldn't make the mortgage payments and so how we title property is really very important, whether it's amongst ourselves or whether it's with our children. Right. And and that's what, what makes the financial power of attorney such a great document, because I, I understand that people's reasoning for keeping an account maybe just in their own name. But if you have a financial power of attorney and something like that happens, they're going to be able to get into it. But a joint account does make it easy. I mean, if, if you have a joint account with your and the kid's bank account, you know, that allows you to be able to go make deposits in it and move money around and take care of that. And if it's not a lot of money, I think that's a, it's a simple, convenient way of doing that. If we're talking a lot of money, I don't know if we want my kids on my, you know, <laughs> as a joint account. So yeah, they can get to it easy. Um, but if they, you know, the kids got a couple thousand, that certainly makes it, you know, a lot, lot simpler for them to use the lies of them. And what is the liability on credit cards. I, I remember, and this is so many years ago, but I remember my son Jeff coming home and we were doing budgeting and we looked at the credit cards. He had like six or seven credit cards and one of them was Victoria's Secret. And I just chuckled and was like, what are you doing with that? And he said, well, they were in the union and they just gave us this credit card. We could get it automatically. We didn't have to buy anything, but we had it in case we needed it. And so these car, these companies are making it very simple for kids to take out credit cards and to whack up debt. Right. Um, and it, it is easy for them to get it. And again, I think you just need to have that discussion with the kids, you know, and tell them, you know, listen, th- this is going to need to get paid back. I, I know you want to live easy now and maybe you want to live the lifestyle that your parents are living, you know, living now. You know, but but we've been working for 25 or 30 years, and this is what your mother and I have chosen, you know, to do at this point. You know, if you go back to when we were in, you know, college, you know what? I had mice. I remember running up and down the walls, you know, all day. I mean, and that doesn't mean that all the kids should be living in that today, but you know, let, let's face it. I mean, you, you don't need to live in a high lifestyle, and that goes to the credit card too, where you know you you put it on and it, it's going to need to get paid. Paid off, and it's got higher interest rates, and it becomes concerning. But again, ultimately, I guess it's the kid's decision. Um, but what the parents need to understand is that if they're signing, they're they're co-signing for it. It's it could become their responsibility, you know, someday as well. And and I've had people, you know, come in and they're like, "Boy, I did this. I co-signed for my niece because her parents wouldn't, you know, do it." And all of a sudden, now there's thirty thousand dollars of credit card debt. And the credit card company wants, you know, us to pay it off. I'm like, yeah, they do. And they're going to be, you know, and they're entitled to it. And if you want to fight them on this, you're going to owe their attorney fees as well, which could be another ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. Your best bet is just to cut a deal with them. And so, you know, I guess it's one thing that kind of keeps going through my head. And, you know, they had the old marketing scheme that just said, just say no. And I know that was related to whether drugs or alcohol or that sort of thing. But, but I think, it should be to everything, okay? Just because somebody puts a piece of paper in front of you, just because somebody asks you to do something, doesn't mean that you should necessarily have to do it. I get people calling me up and they're like, well, Phil, just let me run this by you. And I'm like, why the heck would you do that? (laughs) 
And they're like, oh, I just thought I should have to. I'm like, heck no, there's no stinking way I would do that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that's where you need to think it. If, if somebody wants you to sign a guarantee, if they want you to sign that, say, hey, is there a different way we could do that? Is this absolutely necessary? Um, or just, no, I'm not going to do that. If, if this child has been irresponsible, they don't pay back their debts, I'm not going to risk everything that I've put together. And so I think your kids need to be willing to say no you know, in certain financial circumstances or liability. And I, and I think the parents need to be able to do that as well. One of the worst things that happens to these kids, too, is they get so much debt out there that they finally get out of school where they could be earning a living and they can't even buy a car because they have so much debt or they've got bad credit. And so I think one of the most important things that you can do is talk to your kids about credit, credit scores, and, and what it means if you have bad credit. Right, because... When they, when they're when they going to do give you a loan, they're looking at that credit score and the interest rate goes up and it gets a lot more expensive to pay back that loan. It really does. My guest today is Attorney Phil Remmers. Um, if you would like to reach him, you can do that at pjr at cmhlaw.com or 262-542-4278. Please give us a call if uh, if you've got your students who are juniors and seniors, um, it really does make sense to talk to them early and not wait until they're off to college to talk about some of these financial issues. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a really great weekend. Bye.